0: I'd love to call us back together as we continue worship this morning. And as we come to encounter our teaching text, we're going to sing this brief refrain. So joining together. Bless the Lord. Soul, and bless God's hope
1: Good morning, friends. If you have your shed Bible, we're on page 532. This morning I'm reading from Psalm 63, 1 through 8. You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you.
0: Bless the Lord, my soul, and bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, who leads me into life.
1: On my bed. I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ashley. I'm one of our co-lead pastors along with Troy Hatfield. If it's your first time here with us this morning, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us. And thanks for joining us online as well. Hey, today is kind of a big day. Let me tell you why. First, it's not winter anymore. (laughs) Happy spring, everyone. And in celebration, we're supposed to get a wintry mix on Thursday. Okay, two. It's a big day because Michigan won last night. If you're keeping up, it's Final Four basketball. And hey, state fans, you have a chance to win tonight as well. We're gonna all be winners this tournament. Okay. Now, imagine with me this. First, if I have any plant lovers, I know Michelle Brummel on our staff, she is a green thumb. So if you're like Michelle, imagine this. You're on your way home from church, and you see your neighbor is in the yard because it's spring and they've already been to Lowe's. And as you pull up your driveway, you see some curious activity. You lean over out the window, and you see that there's a brown substance that your neighbor is using. And you get out of the car, and upon further inspection, you see an empty two-liter bottle of Diet Coke has been emptied over the plant beds. Say what? Now, Spartan fans, imagine Marcus Bingham Jr. who's a forward for the Spartans. He's from Grand Rapids. He's taking a break at halftime. He's panting. He's out of breath. And one of the assistants of the team hands him a plastic water bottle, and he takes a swig, and to his dismay, he's drinking madcap coffee. (laughs) What's the problem? Diet Coke is the third most popular soft drink in our country. Madcap coffee is delicious, necessary, and enjoyed by 64% of Americans, coffee that is in general, every day. The problem is that living things cannot be quenched by just anything. Living things cannot be quenched by just anything. As incredulous as our reactions might be to our neighbor pouring sugary soda over plants, or a thirsty basketball player guzzling coffee at halftime. I wonder deep down if we've found that in the deepest parts of us, we can say we're truly satisfied. I've been asking myself since studying this text from Psalm 63, and I'll ask you too, in what ways... In this season, might I be pouring pop over what longs for living water? Before we even get to the text, the inscription of Psalm 63, if you look at the top in your Bibles, it welcomes we who are in Lent to the wilderness. If you jump back in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel 15, David is fleeing Jerusalem. He's running from a man named Absalom, and this is not just any man. This is his own son, who who the text says stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so David is fleeing because he's predicting that surely Absalom will come after him and want to kill him. So he comes to the Judean wilderness. The wilderness, as you might imagine, is a place of exposure. It's mountainous and it's hot and it's dry. It exposes our need and our limitations. It exposes our longings. In chapter 16 of Second Samuel, David, after he's been in the wilderness, he comes to the Jordan River, and the text says he's weary. David was parched and hungry. He was faint, and he was tired. And as we gather today, Mars Hill, I wonder what wilderness, what wilderness conditions represented in this room. Where do you feel exposed, like you're reaching the end of yourself? Perhaps for you it is something physical. It's a new ache or a new pain. David experienced the wilderness physically. Our bodies, as you know, are made up mostly of water. And so water is essential. Without water, we die. So if David was thirsty, he was probably experiencing some of the symptoms of dehydration. He was fatigued. Perhaps he had a severe headache. His muscles were cramped. He was craving something salty. Perhaps his eyes and his skin and his mouth were dry. And yet... What's curious to me in Psalm 63 is that what we see is David doesn't focus mainly on the impact that the wilderness has on his body. He talks about his soul, his nephesh, his unified being. This wasn't our Western Greek-influenced concept of a body inhabited by a soul. The Hebrew uses this word to identify the throat, breath, the life force, that which animates the body. And it was sometimes used to refer to the seat of longing, desire, and passion. His nefesh. So David, experiencing physical weariness, says that it is his life force, the seat of his desire and longing that thirsts for God. Just as we can experience physical signs of weariness and dehydration in the wilderness, the soul itself, our nefesh, can experience the same. Spiritual headaches, Frustrations we experience when we're not getting what we want or when we feel far from God. Pain caused by an onslaught of trials or hardships. Confusion in the church or being let down by our spiritual leaders. Fatigue or weariness when the religious formulas we've been taught do not seem to be working. Dry spells, when our connection to God's presence feels dull or inconsistent. What what wilderness conditions do you find yourself perhaps experiencing today? What I need us to remember is that in the wilderness where water is scarce and where weariness is the norm, what we choose to be satisfied by, it matters. Pouring the pop of busyness, retail therapy, avoidance, Forced positivity, control of your checklists, pouring pop over what was made to be satisfied in God will always leave us wanting. We've used Augustine's words a few times in recent past, but let us remind us ourselves again, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So the question naturally becomes, what was it? What compelled David to long for God more than he expressed longing for food or for water? How does a soul find satisfaction in the wilderness, whatever that might look like for you? What I want to call us to is three things that a satisfied soul can say. The first thing is this. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. This is an acknowledgement of our need, but it also requires vulnerability. When I ran my first 10K, I still lived in Chicago. And that was the last time I ran a 10K, by the way. Um, And I tell you what, I never understood the runners who would fly Past the water stations. I prayed for a water station each and every time because I knew that the water station afforded me some time to rest, to refuel, and then to return to the race. You think professionals don't stop? The London Marathon itself has 20 nine water stations. There are full articles that instruct runners how to strategically get to and past a water station. Trust me, I found many. People know that water is necessary. No good runner pretends they aren't thirsty. Someone needs to hear this this morning. It does you, your soul, and the kingdom of God no favors to pretend that you have no needs. To pretend that you're not thirsty. Think about this. Those who are satisfied at one point or another had to first acknowledge their thirst. Our dissatisfaction may not be a case of refreshment not being available to us. Perhaps it may be that we keep speeding past the water station. Augustine again says, If we acknowledge ourselves as thirsty, we shall acknowledge ourselves as drinking also. For he or she that thirsteth in this world, in the world to come, shall be satisfied. Can you admit that you're thirsty? May I say and encourage you and love to stop sprinting past the water table, thinking that somehow noble. We must be willing to enter into the practice of confession that we're thirsty for ourselves to find us in a posture that is ready to be satisfied. The second thing a satisfied soul can say is that I'm thirsty for something. This acknowledges our desire, but it also requires Deep humility. During my first pregnancy, I said this phrase a lot. You know, Delwyn, I could really go for a milkshake. And it wasn't just any milkshake. It was a Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshake. Okay, (laughs) Got some enthusiasts. All the time, the craving was clear. And yet, how many of us know that our cravings aren't necessarily nourishing? How many of you have ever said, gee, I could really go for some cucumber slices right now? (laughs) No one says that. Everyone's like, oh, man, I want some chips. Give me some french fries. Some nachos. No one wants cucumber slices. Cravings, if you look at the science of how our brains work, they're typically psychological and not physiological. Unlike hunger, cravings tend to be satisfied by a feeling or a sensation, and therefore our cravings do not necessarily illuminate our deepest desires. What you crave doesn't necessarily point to what you want deep down. For our souls to be completely satisfied, cravings won't cut it. We have to be clear about what it is that we're really thirsty for. And another text in the lectionary for today, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, their divided church. Much of the book is Paul addressing their divisions. And he says this, Our ancestors all ate the same spiritual food, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered. Another translation says, their bodies were defeated by temptation, where in the wilderness. In the wilderness. In other words, spiritual food and drink were available to them, but their cravings in the wilderness got the best of them. If you recall the people of God, they craved meat. They wanted something other than what God was providing. They wanted something else. And so knowing what we crave that matters. To name our cravings and the habits that have formed around them, that perhaps we crave notoriety, and maybe that's why we name drop. Or we crave recognition, and that's why we're overcommitted. We crave companionship, and that's why we endure unhealthy relationships. Knowing what we crave matters, but it's not the same as knowing what our souls deeply desire. What are you really thirsty for? For me, I crave order in my home. But what I really desire is stability in God. I crave clarity when it comes to some of the most mind-bending and complex debates around racial injustice and belonging. But what I'm really thirsty for is the vision of the kingdom of God that God had in mind, that we see each other as God sees us, and that we work for that kind of truth and justice. That's what I'm really thirsty for. I crave comfort, but I'm really thirsty for an end to the kind of exposure to suffering, the eyes of the homeless man that I see on the corner of wealthy and 131 getting off the freeway pictures of the deceased on stretchers in war-torn countries, what's maybe a bruise under the eye of a little girl at the place where I tutor. I crave comfort, but I really want an end to suffering. What are you really thirsty for? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As Tim talked about these kids in our community, you all, organizing this prayer vigil, you know what? They don't crave vengeance like we do, or convenience or political justification. They crave something else. They desire something else. They're thirsty for something else. And you know what? Tonight, I think they're going to be satisfied. So first, we have to name our thirst. Second, we have to name what it is we're really thirsty for. But third, a satisfied soul can say, I am satisfied by... This is an acknowledgement of grace. It requires a repentance, a turning. Going back to our collect for this morning, to give up something, to turn from something in order to receive something else, something better. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is informed about a group of Galileans who are reported to have been cruelly killed at the hands of Pilate. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached out of Luke 13 in this specific passage. It's a curious one. It's layered. And one scholar points out that the people telling Jesus about what happened, they're trying to appeal to his nationalistic sympathies, okay? They're craving revenge for what has just been happened, what has just happened to these Galileans. And Jesus responds in a way that I've been thinking about ever since. He doesn't deny the atrocity. But he also doesn't focus his response on Pilate, the Romans or on the cruelty they impose. He doesn't satisfy with simplistic answers to deep and complex questions by saying that he's going to solve a deep trouble with a quick fix. One scholar points out that he will not take part of the inquiries defined by his enemies. He won't take part in their self-righteous anger, Instead, he satisfies by responding pastorally to a human ache. And instead, Jesus calls this outraged crowd to repent. He then goes on to tell the story of a fig tree. And through this story, he invites those asking him these questions to consider the mercy of the vine dresser in light of the master's judgment. See, this tree hadn't produced any fruit for three years. If you know anything about fig trees, after three years, they should have some fruit on the vine. But the vine dresser knows this tree and says to the master, the one who owns the land, just wait, give it another year. Perhaps if I pour, If you look at the text, it says manure. If I pour manure on this fig tree, what a humiliation. Perhaps in a year it'll grow, and if it doesn't, then you can cut it down. Jesus says to this crowd, I'm the merciful vine dresser. The master calls for judgment. And the more I read this, the more I imagine Jesus' tone as eager and hopeful that his hearers would awake to his mercy and replace their craving for revenge with a yes to his call to repent and receive the good news for them. Living things, we cannot be quenched by just anything by outrage or retaliation or avoidance and the addictions that we enter into of various kinds, by power mongering and self preferential treatment. Jesus doesn't pour pop on what's made to be satisfied by his living water. He doesn't offer coffee to what's meant to be quenched by his power and glory. In the wilderness of this world, Mars Hill, he satisfies with mercy toward you. David knew that he satisfies with a soul protection in the shadow of his wings. He satisfies with a steadfast love no matter what you've done. That is better than life itself. Which is why I think David likely spent more time in the wilderness of Psalm 63, praising God than panicking for provision. He knew he was thirsty. And that his nephesh longed for, clung to, could only be satisfied in God. Can you admit that you're thirsty? What are you thirsty for? Do you know that God longs to satisfy your deepest desire with himself? In Luke 13, it was Pilate who killed the Galileans. And it was under Pilate's rule that Jesus went to the cross. Willie James Jennings says in his book, After Whiteness, that it was the crowd that wanted, that craved Jesus crucified. But Jesus yet wanted the crowd. Jesus wanted the crowd. In John 19, Jesus, knowing that everything had now been finished, he said, I am thirsty. Jesus thirsted himself he was severely dehydrated from all the blood that had been lost and perhaps in a move of mockery he was offered a sponge soaked in a full jar of sour wine and placed on a hyssop branch living things cannot be quenched by just anything and yet Jesus the sacrificial lamb received what was sour and subpar on the same branch that Jews would have used to spread the blood of the sacrificial lamb over the doorpost at the first Passover. And there, the one who thirsted satisfied our souls every deepest desire by his sacrifice. So we come to the table as people of the wilderness Guess what, Mars Hill? We get to eat. We get to be satisfied again here today. We get to come and receive and be filled. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So in a spirit of thanksgiving, pray with me. How right and a good and a joyful thing at all times and in all circumstances and all places to give thanks to you, O God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn, to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would meet us in our soul's deepest need with this spiritual food and spiritual drink you would satisfy us in the wilderness once again Christ's name we pray amen so on the night he was betrayed at this table Jesus took bread and after giving thanks he broke it And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup. And in the same way, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so together we proclaim a mystery with brothers and sisters all around the world who also long deeply, whose nephesh, Longs deeply as ours do. And this mystery is proclaimed together. And it goes like this Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Church, as you go to the table, we have elements in the middle of the aisles. Perhaps in the back with Brian, you confess your thirst or perhaps you write for the first time in a long time on a prayer card what you've been thirsting for, that you've been trying to satisfy with temporary cravings. We love, we commit as a staff to praying with you this week. Church, all is ready. May your thirst be met deeply at the Lord's table. Receive who you are, the body of Christ.